If you will turn in your Bibles to the book of First Thessalonians, we're uh, continuing our walk through this short book that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Man, I've loved everything about the service this morning, our singing and prayer time, our time around the table. Thank you, Rob, for your words. I love Isaiah 53. Um, I do want to say a big thank you to Steve Cravens for um, putting together our singing yesterday. He was sort of our uh, point man and the guy that got it started and promoted it. And we had 11 or 12 churches, I think, represented yesterday. Um, so that was wonderful. And I hope that that will just be the beginning of um, great relationships and fostering uh, goodwill toward one another and, and possibly working together in the kingdom to, to reach more lost souls. Uh, thank you, Lindsay. Um, and just rallying God's people together. There's something special about lifting your voice in song together. Um, and we did that this morning already, and we'll do it, do it more. But instead of being a lot of different people when we sing, I see it as just one voice, one voice to God, one people, uh, one language where we're, we're speaking to the Father. And so yesterday was just a fantastic time. If you were not here, you missed a beautiful, beautiful event. And um, Steve's already set the date for next year, November the 11th, I think he said. So... Um, it seems too long to wait. We ought to, someone said that we ought to do it once a quarter. I don't know. Um, but anyway, that was wonderful. First Thessalonians chapter 3. I hope you've enjoyed walking through this little book. I've, I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot from it. In light of Jesus' return, uh, relationships that matter the most are the ones that you and I need to be cultivating and striving to create on an everyday basis. While we wait, while we wait for Jesus to return. Uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, it's really just a great encouragement on how we should wait for Jesus Christ to return in the very best possible way that we can. So let's, let's look at our text this morning. Hopefully we'll work our way through chapter 3, but let's look at these first five verses. The word of the Lord says this. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. So Paul is, is telling us of his concern for the Thessalonians. He wanted to know how things were going. He couldn't be with them in person, but he could not stand not knowing how they were doing and how their, how their faith was coming along. <clears throat> I think all of, us, all of us can relate to that need-to-know feeling. 
You know, you just, you, you, you got to know something. You, you can't do without any longer. There's, there's just something that's burning inside of you that you got to know. Um, think about maybe back when you were in elementary school, maybe, maybe middle school for some of you. Um, either you wrote a note like this, or maybe you were the recipient of a note that said something like this. I like you. Do you like me? Check. Yes, no, or maybe. Anybody ever get a note like that? No, you don't have to raise your hand. Some of you wrote notes like that. Check yes, check no, or the dreaded maybe. Maybe there's hope, maybe there's not, I don't know. But at least it wasn't a no, right? It's like there's something inside. That little girl is so cute. That little boy, I'm so sweet on him. I just got to know, does he feel the same way? Does she feel the same way about me? That's kind of the way I see Paul uh, in, the, in the church in Thessalonica. It's like, I just want to know how you're doing. I've got to know what you're, uh, what you're experiencing. I can't stand that feeling. I've got to know something. So Paul sends Timothy to them to find out what was going on, how they were doing, so Timothy could bring back a report. And the rest of our passage this morning is about the impact of the report that Timothy brought back to Paul and his companions. Let's pick on up verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as also we long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. We, we kind of get a sneak peek here into this relationship between Paul and these brothers and sisters in Christ there in Thessalonica. We get to see the qualities and the nature of this relationship that matters so much to Paul and also to the Thessalonians, particularly in light of Jesus' return. And so the first thing we see is Paul's deep concern for their faith. He wants to know how they're doing in their faith, that they would, that they would keep on trusting, that they would keep on believing in Jesus even though they were experiencing great difficulty, even though they saw Paul and his companions experiencing great difficulties. So in the midst of this suffering and this, this persecution as followers of Jesus, Paul wanted to make sure that the Thessalonians were not going to give up. You see, Paul is being persecuted. He's going through all kinds of struggles. But we learned last week that, 
that they had become imitators also of, of those churches in Judea who were being persecuted. They themselves were undergoing persecution, and Paul was so afraid. He was so afraid that now that they had responded to Jesus, that Satan was going to come in, and because of this persecution, they were going to say, you know what? I can't take it anymore. It's not worth it. I'm just, I'm just going to you know, forget about Jesus. I'm going to go back to my old way of life so that I can kind of have smooth waters so that things can maybe be a little more comfortable. Paul was so worried. He was so afraid that, that they were going to give up the faith. Let me, let me ask you this. Have you, have you ever gone through tough times with someone have you ever been through some struggles with someone else? Maybe, maybe a family member, maybe uh, a, a, close, a close friend. Maybe you walked with them through sickness or some hardship, some kind of trial. There, there's a quality. There's a quality to that relationship when you have walk through something with someone. When you've come alongside someone through a hard time or a difficulty, there's a quality, a closeness to that relationship that you could get no other way unless you had gone through those experiences. Does that resonate with anybody? Do you understand what I'm saying? You, there, there's something that you can only get with that other individual or, or maybe several people because you have gone through something with them, a struggle, and you've come out on the other side. And when you see their faith in the midst of that struggle, what does it do to you? It strengthens you, doesn't it? It gives you hope. It gives you courage. I think about some of the things that I've been through when I've gone to Africa, and I know I, I talk about Africa a lot, but I've got a lot of experiences there that, that just are so near and dear to me. But I've had some times when I've been in Africa where I've been through some things with, with some brothers of mine. I've got two brothers in particular that I'm thinking about that before I went to Africa, I didn't even know one. The other one I had gone to church with. But after I had been on several trips with them, when I see them, when I looked across the church auditorium and I saw this brother or that brother, I felt differently about them. I felt closer to them than I did other people. Why? Because I'd been through some things. I'd been through some great things, and I'd also been through some struggles. There are some things that happen when you're on the mission field that you, you cannot prepare for as, as much as you try. You can't prepare for. Things come out of the blue. Things happen, and you have to change plans on the cuff, and, and go with the flow, and sometimes things, you know, ha we, uh, they took me one time to a village. We drove down a path uh, as far as we could in, in our truck, and then they got off, and I hired a motorcycle driver, and my uh, interpreter and I got on, there are three of us, on a motorcycle, a little 125, Chinese-made motorcycle, 125, and I'm hanging off the back, and I've got my backpack and my Bible wedged in between me and my interpreter. And we start driving down a little pig trail where a, a car or a truck's not going to go. And we drove and we drove and we drove until we came to this village. And I'm, all the time I'm just sitting there praying, first, Lord, let me not fall off the back of this bike. 
but that this is going to be worth it, you know? I mean, that all of this, you know, what, what have I gotten myself into? I have no idea where I'm going. But we get there, and my other brother from Texas has rented a bike, and he, we, we both kind of show up at the same time in this village. His guy had taken him here, my guy had taken me there, and we looked at each other, and we, we were like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Well, you want to preach, you want to preach. And we, we took turns preaching the gospel, and we had such a harvest. We reaped such a harvest. So when I come back to America, and I see my brother at church, man, I, I love him. And I love him probably more than I love other people, just because. Just because we've been through some experiences together. When you walk along some, uh, uh, alongside someone, maybe someone who's struggling with sickness or cancer, and you spend time with them, you go to the hospital, maybe you sit by their bed and you pray with them, and now they're on the mend and they're recovering, and they look at you and they love you in a way that they would never have loved you had you not been there, had you not held their hand, had you not prayed with them. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is feeling. That's the relationship that he has with the church in Thessaloniki. He, he loves them. And I'm sure that you figured this out already, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, life is seasoned by tough times, hardships, challenges, brokenness, sorrow, and sometimes tragedy. But if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to reap the benefit of relationships that really, really matter, we need to be individuals that will encourage others to stay true to the faith, even in the midst of difficulty, to hang in there, to walk alongside those who are hurting, to walk alongside those who are struggling to walk alongside maybe those who are doubting and encourage them to remain faithful. But the only way that we can do that is to embrace a biblical view of suffering. Did you hear, did you hear what I said there? The only way that we are able or can do that is to embrace a biblical view of suffering. You cannot help someone who is suffering unless and until you have embraced a biblical perspective on suffering. Have you ever tried to help your kids with their homework? Maybe some of you, maybe your grandchildren, you ever try to help them with your homework? They, they bring out a paper, a, a worksheet, and they say, Daddy, I can't, I, I can't figure this out. I need some help. Mom, I, I don't know what, what I'm doing here. Can you help me? And you look at it, and you began to read through, and you, for the life of you, have no idea what the teacher is asking or what they want. And the sad thing is, is your kid's like in third grade. You know, I'm not talking about high school. I'm not talking about algebra or trig or calculus. You know, third and fourth grade, you look at it, and you're like, I don't understand what they're asking. So here's, here's the rule, okay? If you can't answer the question, you cannot help your child to understand the question, right? If you don't know how to figure it out, you can't help someone else figure it out. 
That's what I submit to you with suffering. You cannot help someone. You cannot walk with someone through suffering unless and until you have a biblical perspective on suffering. And we're only getting just a little, a little glimpse here, a little insight into dealing with suffering, um, just a little bit. Uh, if you really want to read some more about it, uh, read 1 Peter. I think there's only five chapters. Read through 1 Peter. Um, it, it deals with this concept. Hebrews chapter 12 uh, is, is a commentary there, I think verses 3 through 12. Read that. that. That really maybe gives us a little bit better perspective biblically about suffering. But, but in the rest of our time this morning, I want to just give you three truths very quickly about this idea of, of suffering biblically. Verse 3. He says, um, we sent Timothy, our brother, to you so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Look at this. You know quite well that we were destined for them. Your Bible might say that it was appointed for us. So the first truth I share with you is that God appoints suffering. God appoints suffering. He says we were destined for it. For the follower of Jesus, it is our destiny. God had already told Paul how much that he was going to have to suffer for the name, how much he was going to have to suffer for the kingdom. Go back to Acts chapter 9 when Paul was blinded by the light and, and, he, and he saw um, Jesus on the road to Damascus, Ananias comes to him. He says, right, get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul was then, he was told how much he was going to have to suffer for the name. And you know what? Paul was willing to do that because he realized how great his salvation was. Paul would later write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will get everything they've ever hoped for. Is that what it says? <laughs> in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hmm. I don't know if I signed up for that, Jesus. I like the blessings. I love the promise of heaven. But he doesn't say, he doesn't say it might come your way. He, might, he didn't say there's a possibility. He didn't even say there's a probability. What he said was, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. God appoints suffering. We live in a broken world. Would anybody disagree with that statement this morning? We live in a broken world, and it is an inevitable consequence of living in this brokenness that we'll suffer. But listen to me. God redeems our suffering. He redeems that, and he uses it for the gospel, and he uses it for his glory. He redeems 
the things that we go through, the things that, that we suffer, that we, we struggle with. He will redeem that for the purpose of expanding his kingdom with the gospel and for his glory. But the second thing, I, the second truth is, is that suffering is never meant to cause us to be shaken in our faith or to turn away from God. That's not why God appoints it. God doesn't want us to lose our faith. God doesn't want to bring something upon us that's going to shatter us, that's going to cause us to lose our faith. That's not why he appoints the suffering. But the third truth is, is that suffering is meant to encourage and strengthen our faith. Back in verse 2, we saw that. We sent Timothy, who is our brother, God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Suffering is meant to encourage and strengthen our faith so that much can be made of the gospel through our suffering and that we could receive encouragement from God and from his people. Because when you walk alongside someone and they're hurting and they're struggling, maybe they're undergoing trials, maybe Satan is trying to beat us up, beat them up. You come alongside them and you begin to share in that with them. You begin to walk in that pain with them. All of a sudden you begin to be a source of strength for them in the midst of that suffering. They're encouraged by you walking alongside of them, and you are encouraged by their faith as they walk through that. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful relationship. Verses 7 and 8. He says, Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Look at this. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul is so encouraged to hear of this report. Paul is so encouraged by hearing that from Timothy, when Timothy comes back with the report that they're strong, they're remaining faithful, even in the midst of persecution and suffering, they're hanging in there, they're loving God, they're serving him, Paul, when he gets that report, he is so encouraged and he says, now I really live because now I know. It's not yes, no, or maybe. It's yes, they're hanging in there. Yes, they're faithful. Yes, they're remaining true to God. There's no yes, no, or maybe. All of that's been removed. It's yes, 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 they're faithful. And Paul is so encouraged. He's so built up in that. It's an amazing experience to be in a relationship that really matters and to experience that encouragement from seeing your sister remain faithful, seeing your brother remain faithful, even during difficult times. It will bless your life. And then finally, Paul just busts out in prayer. 
Paul often does this uh, when he's writing. He just busts out in, in prayer for them. Look at this, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. He keeps talking about Jesus' return. And he says, I'm laboring for you in prayer. I want your love to increase. I want it to just overflow to each other. I want to strengthen your hearts. I want you to be blameless and to be holy and ready for the Lord's return. How do you get a relationship like that? How do you cultivate a relationship like that? I believe when you are so overwhelmed, when you become so overwhelmed that God has saved a wretch like me. I'm not the only wretch here this morning, I don't think. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Isn't that beautiful? We sang this morning, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, Brett, that's a Bible. That's a Bible. I need a songbook. Here we go. Thank you, brother, for leading that song. I almost, well, I couldn't. I got to the, uh, to the verse, and it, and it hit me like a brick. I mean, just out of the blue. And this is an old song, 1872 when it was written. Upon that cross of Jesus, mine eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. Here we go again. And from my smitten heart with tears, two wonders, I confess. The wonders of his glorious love. And my worthlessness, my own worthlessness. I think when you become so overwhelmed with salvation that it just blows your mind. When, when you look in the mirror and you say, God, why? You stop asking God, why are bad things happening? And you start asking, God, why would you save a wretch like me? <laughs> why, why would you do anything good for a man like me? Then you'll begin to share the gospel with other people. 
you won't be able to help it. And in light of Jesus' return, I think we'll answer that question by the way that we begin to live our lives. By living intentionally, by living life on purpose, so that when you go to work, it's not about work, it's not about provision, it's not about a paycheck, but it's about an opportunity to share love. It's about an opportunity to be Christ. It's about an opportunity to build a relationship that really matters in the light of Jesus' return. Don't you want a closer walk with God? Don't you want to enter into a closer relationship with Jesus? Don't fight it any longer. Don't keep him at bay. You've got burdens that you want to lay at his feet, you need to lay at his feet. Don't put it off any longer.